Well, listen, we're going to be starting a brand new series today. Everybody say, yeah! It's a great series. We're starting a new series that we're calling The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. And look, friends, it's all about knowing God. Knowing God for who he really is. Not just knowing God for what he can do for us. Here where I'm coming from. This is so important because unless we grow in our understanding of who God is, the truth is that we cannot effectively relate to God. We cannot even begin to follow after him or trust him like we sang. Right? We can't even begin to enjoy this journey of faith and have life with God and, and relate to him and receive from him at the same time. And so one of the most powerful ways that God depicts himself, to introduce himself to us, is in the, in the form of a shepherd. A shepherd. And while God relates to us as a shepherd, that also denotes something else. He wants us to know him like sheep. Here where I'm coming from. There is a relationship that exists between a shepherd and sheep. And it is a unique relationship. It is a powerful relationship. Because sheep don't look to the shepherd so much for provision. They follow the shepherd because he is their provision. They trust in the shepherd. They're committed to the shepherd. And for some of us, we don't always relate to God like sheep. Some of you relate to me like sheep and you bite. <laughs> love you. I love you. Listen, I love you. I ain't changing my mind, right? But sheep bite. You've heard me say that, right? But we don't always fully commit to follow him as a sheep, as sheep do with a shepherd. We don't always wholly and solely rely upon him. And sometimes we don't certainly stay close to him. The question is, why is that? Why is it that sometimes we drift? Why is it that sometimes we deviate? Why is it that sometimes we lose focus? Why is it that sometimes we go searching out there for something that's not there? Why do we miss God? Why, why do we lose sight? And one reason is because we tell ourselves a different story than the one that he tells us. We don't understand his heart for us. We doubt his reasons in leading us. And sometimes we question his intentions toward us. Let me introduce you to this good shepherd that we have. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, he tends his flock like a what? A shepherd. You know what's interesting about that word shepherd there? It's the Hebrew word ra'ah. And what ra'ah depicts is a shepherd who is also a teacher. So when David, and we're going to look, we're going to be studying this over the next several weeks. When we start looking at God as a shepherd, and he depicts himself as a shepherd, what he's saying is, I am leading you and feeding you and providing for you and strengthening you and leading you to new grounds and protecting you from your enemies by what I teach you. It's a shepherd teacher. Ra. And so he tends to his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them, how? Close to his heart. Close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What we begin to see here is that God emphasizes, he introduces himself to us as a shepherd. And the shepherd tends to his sheep. Friend? If you've ever thought about how is it possible that I'm still standing, it was a shepherd. Yeah. 
if you've ever questioned how you're making it, it's the shepherd. If you've ever doubted God's presence in your life, friends, he's a shepherd. He's present. He's tending to you. He stresses that he gathers his lambs in his arms. You ever feel far from God? You ever feel far from God? It's okay to admit that. You ever feel far from God? Can I tell you that that's a lie? It's a lie. Because according to the scripture, he carries his sheep. And sometimes we lose sight of the shepherd that carries us because we're going in a direction that we're not supposed to. Right? He also stresses that he, we're close to his heart and that he gently leads us. Now, for some of us, when we hear this, here's what we're actually telling ourselves. You ever been in a conversation and somebody's saying something to yourself and you're saying something else to yourself? Like right now in this moment? Right? Like I'm saying something, so you're laughing because you're telling on yourself. It's all right. Father, today's the day. Sometimes when we read the word of God and we hear what God says about himself and his relationship to us, we hear differently. We're telling ourselves something else. We're telling ourselves another story. When we hear Isaiah 40, some of us may be hearing it this way. He takes care of others like a shepherd. For some of us, we hear he has left me alone and I'm far from his reach. I'm far from his heart and I am forgotten. For some of us, we hear the Lord is harsh. And he has led me down a hard road in life. Yeah, if that's the story you tell yourself, friends, it's because you're relating to God, not as sheep. It's because you don't see him as a shepherd. You don't know his heart and his love and his intentions towards you. And so today I want to talk to you from the heart of God. I want to talk to you on the topic, what's your story? What's your story? Go ahead and ask somebody, what's your story? Ask somebody else, what's your story? Yeah, tell somebody else, what's your story? Now, I'm going to tell you what's concerning about that. A whole bunch of us asked somebody, what's your story? But none of us took the time to answer that. And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm honing in on that. Because oftentimes, what we do is we overlook the story that we have with God, our God story. We just rush past that. We miss it completely. We lose sight of it. And there is a story that you and I have. And you, you have to think about this because we all have a narrative that continues to play in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We're all thinking and processing through something. And for many of us, we process our story in terms of our relationship with God, not as a sheep to a shepherd. We relate to God based on a bad experience that we blame God for. Can I give you a piece of advice? Can I, can, I, can I just encourage you from the word of God? The Bible says that God leads no man. He tempts no man. He's not a tempter of men. What the scripture is denoting there is that God does not do bad to accomplish good. Well, what about in the Old Testament? Different dispensation. That was before Christ. That was before Christ. We're going to see in the scripture that it, it reveals to us that after Christ, that what God has done, the Bible says that he unleashed his wrath upon Jesus. That the, that, that the payment for our, the punishment for our peace was upon Jesus. And because of the stripes that he took, we've been healed. In other words, the payment 
for the penalty of sin has been paid. And therefore, God is no longer inflicting justice according to the Old Testament because we don't owe God anything anymore. The only thing we owe God is our attention. We need to see him as a shepherd. God doesn't relate to us the way he used to in the Old Testament. There wasn't a payment back then. Today it's different. So what's the narrative that continues to play in your heart concerning your relationship with God? What's the story that you keep telling yourself? Is it based on a bad experience because you can't blame God? Is it based on an experience with people in a church setting? That could be good or bad. How many of you know that? Right? Is it based on your frustration with trying to make sense of life? Right? Is it based on the change that God has brought in your life and his faithfulness? Right? The only way that our story will make sense, the narrative that we, that, that plays in our minds and our hearts will ever make sense, is if we are looking to the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The scripture says that God is the author and finisher of our faith. There's a story that trumps your experience, friends. And that story is defined by a relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. You know, King David was a man who had a lot of wins in life. He did some great things. But he also had a lot of struggles. Those struggles started with his father who thought so little of him that he overlooked him. He forgot that he even existed when they came looking for the next king in Israel in his house. It continued with his brothers who despised him, who rejected him, who belittled him often. There were also various attempts on his life by Saul, by King Saul and others that were enemies. And there were also some highs. You know, he was a successful king as a ruler. But as a husband and a father, he was horrible. So much so that sons rebelled against him. His closest uh, uh, confidants and advisors, some of them turned on him. He had many highs, but he also had many lows because he harbored sin. David was a murderer. He, he, he did so many different things. But despite his experiences, you would in, in spite of his experience, you would think that David would have a story that says, I'm horrible. I'm, I'm a bad person. And despite his experiences, what we see is that David had a powerful story, one that superseded his experiences, one that solidified his relationship with God, one that gave him confidence in God, and one that bred devotion in him and love for God no matter the mistakes he made. And I want us to look at this story because this is where we're going to be digging into the next couple of weeks. We're going to look to Psalm 23, and we're going to start at verse 1. And I want you to read this with me. It says, the Lord is my what? The Lord is my shepherd. He says, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside what? Quiet waters. God doesn't lead you you into drama. God doesn't lead you by problems. Don't buy that lie. God gives his strong, his strongest soldiers the hardest battles. Lie. That is a lie. That is inconsistent with the scriptures. That is inconsistent with the, with the nature that we, that we see in Christ and how God relates to us. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he makes me to lie down beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, mm, I will fear no evil for you, 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 you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I have a question for you, friend. What would your life look like if this was the story that you told yourself? What would your life look like? What would the quality of life that you maintain be? What would your marriage look like? What would your home look like? How would you operate in a chaotic world if this was your story, if this is what you actually believe? If, if you were completely and wholeheartedly convinced, I am a son and a daughter of God. My father is a shepherd and he leads me like he, like, like he leads sheep. What could your life look like if that was the story you told yourself? Because you see, friends, when you know the Lord is a shepherd, when you truly believe he's a shepherd, it's because you're starting to follow him like sheep. You understand that you're provided for. You understand that you're protected. You understand that your paths are prepared, even though it doesn't make sense. Even though you may not see the whole story, you know that there is a God who works out all things for your good because he loves you and he's called you according to his purposes. No matter what you see, you trust that he's prepared a path before you. And you have hope because you know that his promises are sure and that those things will come to pass. What's your story? I want you to think about what's your story. I want you to think about what you tell yourself on a daily basis. When you approach God, do you approach him with confidence? When you think about God, do you, do you see him as a loving father or do you see yourself as someone who, who, who can't come into his presence? Do you approach him based on your experiences? Or do you approach him based on his grace and his mercy? Yeah. And so in Luke 15, Jesus shares a powerful parable. Parables were stories that he would use to convey spiritual realities, kingdom principles on a practical level. It was like taking algebra and dumbing it down to simple addition and subtraction, right? Like he, he was simplifying things. He was clarifying things. And so he shares this parable. And I'm going to tell you straight up, the father in this parable is a depiction of God. The sons in this parable is a depiction of us. And it, it depends which one you are. And so in this parable, there are two sons that had a story rolling in their hearts and their minds pertaining to who their father was and how they were to relate to him. The younger brother's story led him to make many mistakes. The, the older brother's story kept him trapped in what became a horror story. And this parable exemplifies the danger of what happens when we lose sight of God as a father. 
when our story becomes distorted, when we begin to see ourselves as distant from God. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 15. We're going to start at verse 12. It says that the younger son, the younger one, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Somebody say, give me. Oh, you guys are good at give me. Yeah, you guys say that real good. Give me, yeah. You're familiar with that desire. Give me, right? Give me, yeah. No, no, don't do that. He says, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Don't forget that point. What we're seeing is that the father takes all that he owns and he divides it amongst both sons, right? And so it goes on to say that not long after that, the younger son got to... Uh, got together all he had, and he said, peace, I'm out. I'm going to live the high life. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want. I'm going to be free. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to experience all I want to experience. I'm going to go discover what's out there that isn't here. And so the son got together all that he had, and he set off for a what? distant country. Say that with me, a distant country. A distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. The words there for wild living in the original language speaks of one who is excessive because he's lavish. In other words, he abounds. I mean, he goes way, way overboard in what he does and what he spends and how how he does things. It's what in some Bibles will be referred to as a prodigal. Right, prodigal living. And so it goes on to say, verse 14, that after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in what? In need. In need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and sent, who sent him out to his field to, to his field to feed pigs. Pause right there for a moment. Let's widen the scope now. Let's go from macro to micro. I want you to keep in mind that Jesus is sharing a parable to Jewish people. And in a Jewish context, pigs are the most detestable, deplorable. It is the worst thing you could ever associate yourself with, be around, touch, eat, right? And so consider what the reaction might have been for the people hearing this this parable. Whoa, a pig. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can't touch this. That was so corny. But you guys made me feel so loved right now in this moment. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. That was cornball status. Anyway, right? So stop, guys. Come on. Stop. Stop. It wasn't funny. Stop. So this guy's with pigs. He's having dinner with pigs. And to the average Jewish person hearing this, they're saying, that's a no-no. You can't get any lower than this. That's the worst of the worst. And so he hires himself out to this person from this distant country who says to him, I got an offer for you, man. Feed my pigs. Verse 16, then he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Do you see how bad it's gotten for this guy? He's looking at pigs eating slop and he's going... Man, that's like a steak there, man. Man, that, like, that looks good. 
That looks real good. And this leads us to our first point this morning. Our point is that God is our provision before he's our provider. Let me tell you what I'm talking about, why I say this. God is our provision before he's our provider. Notice that the, the scripture says, the parable says that this son was in his father's house. And then he gets the bright idea, dad, give me everything that's due to me when you die. So here's what he's actually saying. I wish you were dead, but because you're not, could you give me what I'm supposed to get when you die? How messed up is that? Right? No appreciation for his father. No regard for his father. So he says, Father, would you give me what I'm due when you die? And the father, the scripture says, gives him everything that he wants. And then this guy gets the bright idea and he says, I'm going to go to a far distant land. So watch what begins to happen. There's distance. And notice that when distance began to occur between the father and son, destruction followed. You know, oftentimes, the reason, the reason why we feel, how can I put it nicely? We grow cold in our love for God. We lose passion. We lose fire. We don't draw near to God. Is because we forget that we have a father. God not only conveys himself to us as a shepherd, he calls himself our father. And this son, his view of his father got distorted. Distorted to such an extent that he saw the need to run away. And he wasted everything that his father gave him. And what that tells us is that he was interested in his father for what his father could do for him. Not for who his father was to him. You see, friends, oftentimes we go to God with give me. But do we give ourselves to God? Do we give our heart to God? Do we give our trust to God? Do we seek God for who he is as opposed to what he can do for us? Right? So the distance between this younger son and his father left him in need. Things went bad. I'm reminded of a story I heard a while back of a, uh, an actor in Britain who was asked at a drawing room function to recite for the pleasure of his fellow guests. This guy was a great orator. And so he consented and he asked if there was anything especially that someone might want to hear in the room. And after a minute's pause, an old man asked him, would you recite Psalm 23 for us? A strange look came over the actor's face, and he paused for a moment, and then he said, I will on one condition. If after I've recited it, you do the same, my friend. The old man says, me? I? Old man says in surprise, I'm not a gifted orator. I can't even begin to do what you do, but if you wish, I'll do so. Impressively, the actor, he begins to recite the psalm, and his voice and his intonation are perfect. His, his cadence was, it was just on point, the way he delivered it. And he held his audience spellbound. And as he finished, a great burst of applause breaks out from all his guests in the room as they celebrate the, 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 the masterful way in which he's shared this psalm. He's recited it. As it died away, the old man rises and he begins to declaim the same psalm. 
His voice was not remarkable. His tone was not perfect. It was actually faulty. But when he finished, there was not one dry eye in the room. And at that point, the actor rises and his voice quivers and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I, I touched your eyes and your ears with my words. But this man, this man has reached your hearts. And the difference is this. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. He knows the shepherd. Question, friend. Do you know God is your provision or as a provider? It makes all the difference in your relationship with God. The second point that I want to share with you is that before you ever make a mistake... God made you a son and a daughter. Before you ever make a mistake, God made you a son and a daughter. How does that sound for a good deal? How, how does that sound? After several attempts at trying to enjoy dinner with pigs, this younger son realizes this is a bad situation. This is not a good deal. I'm here trying to eat with pigs. And yet in my father's house, even the servants, which in the original language translates to be slaves, he says, even the slaves eat better than what I do here. And so this son decides that he's going to return home. But as he's preparing for the journey, his intention was not to return with the confidence of a son. Why? Because he believed himself to be Unworthy. He believed that he had lost his position and his right as a son. Question, do you doubt your relationship to God as a son and daughter? So listen to, listen to his plan. Luke 15, starting at verse 18, says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Notice that he's calling them father. He says, but I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I wonder how many people there are in the body of Christ that call God Father but do not believe that they're sons and daughters. This tells us that you can call God Father. You can cry out to him as Father, but you could, you could doubt that you're a son and a daughter. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of these slaves in your house is what he's saying. And so he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, while there's still distance, while there's still mistakes, while there's still a stench, while he's still dirty and grimy and all mucky because he's been in dirt and mud with pigs, while he smells like them and he's stuck in this place where he can't even receive me as his father, while he's doubting that I'm present, that I love him, it says while the father was, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Your dirt does not, does not deceive God from who you are. It does not change who you are. The father sees a son. Sometimes what we see is our mess and we make the mistake in believing that we're not a son and daughter. But the father, the father recognizes the son. 
He sees the son from afar off and he's filled with compassion, the Bible says. He's filled with love, deep love for him. And he does something that is uncommon in those days in Jewish culture. A man in those days would never run. It was looked down upon for a man to hurry. This father didn't care about what was right in the eyes of others. He didn't care about people's opinions. He didn't care about what it might look like to somebody else. This father runs towards his son. And as he runs towards his son, he throws his arms around him. And the Bible says he kisses him. Despite the mud, despite the muck, despite the smell, despite the mistakes, despite his rejection, despite the fact that he's wasted everything, this father embraces him as a son and he kisses him. You know why? Because distance does not determine relationship with God. Friend, if you feel far from God, can I, can I just give you a, a sobering thought? God didn't move. You did. God hasn't moved. And here's, here's, here's the greater truth. While we've moved, we think that we're far from God, but he's actually close. He's near. See, he holds his sheep close to his heart, the Bible says. You're as close to God as you'll ever be. But what's creating distance between you and God is not your relationship to God. It's your belief that you're not good enough for God. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. I mean, come on, give God some praise if you believe that. This son's story was a tragedy because he allowed his mistakes to mess with his confidence in his relationship to his father. He believed that he had lost his value and his standing. But let me show you, lest you think this is my idea, that before you ever make a mistake, God already calls you a son and daughter. Let me show you this from scripture. Ephesians chapter 1 starting at verse 4 says, For he chose us in him, what? Before. Before the creation of the world. So watch what the scripture is saying here. This is not my opinion. The scriptures say this. God says this. Before all creation, before Adam, before Eve, before there was light, before anything, God said, I am going to choose Aurelio. I'm going to choose Norma. I'm going to choose Lee. I'm going to choose David. I'm going to choose Anthony. I'm going to choose you. And I choose you, and I call you holy and blameless in my sight. That's what the scripture says. In his sight, God chose us, and he says they are holy and they are blameless. In love, the scripture says, in love, he predestined us. Next verse, please. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. What is the scripture saying? Something went wrong. They pulled away far. They think they're not sons and daughters. But here's what I'm going to do before they even make the mistake. I'm going to sign the paper, so to speak. And I'm going to declare that son, that daughter is mine. He predestined that. He chose it before you and I could ever choose him. You know what the greatest lie is that the enemy, one of the greatest lies he uses? That we're far from God. Because even when we feel far, God is near. 
Friends, you may not believe in God. You may doubt God. You may, you may be going through some things. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have a great relationship. Wherever you are, here's the truth. Nothing can change God's decision about you. He destined you to be called his son and his daughter. His son and his daughter. God's mind is made up. Make your mind up. Make your mind up. So he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. In other words, this has nothing to do with your choice. It's because it pleases me to call you son and daughter is what he says. Verse 6 goes on to say, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely, 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 freely given us in the one he loves. God does not give you receipts for your relationship. The only thing we owe God is our attention. See, before your sin, you were a son. You were a daughter. While you still may struggle with some sinful habits, you're still a son and a daughter. And you will make mistakes, but you will always be a son and a daughter. Why? Because God does not repent on what he chooses and who he calls. God does not turn around from his decision about you. And whether you believe in Jesus or not, he's made up his mind about you. Because God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave his one and only son. God did not come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. God has made up his mind about you. Some, tell somebody, you are good enough. Tell somebody else, you are a son and a daughter. Listen, you are sons and daughters before God. So, if you're a son and a daughter, somebody needs to hear this. Why are you still running? It's because you don't know him as father. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that no matter what you think you need, God's grace is your greatest need. No matter what you think you need, God's grace is your greatest need. Let me show you that from Scripture. This son, he, he pleads for his father to accept him as a slave. He's a son, but he believes he's a slave. And in that moment, the scripture says that the father says, quick, go get my ring. Go get me my best robe. Go put shoes on his feet. Get my, my personal sandals and clothe him. And, and get the fatted cap and let's celebrate because this son of mine who was dead is alive. This son of mine who was lost is found. And what this son discovers in this moment is that there's nothing that he can do to make himself right with his father. Listen to this. The father accepted him although the son had rejected him. The father loved him despite his behavior. The father chose him, made room for him, despite his choice to reject his dad, to leave him. You know what that's called? That's called grace. Grace is favor without a receipt. It's favor without merit. In other words, you and I can do nothing to earn that love, to earn that acceptance. 
Nothing. So this younger son goes before the father, and the father, remember what the scripture says. The scripture says at the very beginning, verse 12, that the father gave the son all his possessions. He divided it between both of them. Here's a picture of grace. This son comes back, but the father gave them everything. But now we see that the father still has more to give. Friends, you can't outperform God's grace. You can't outrun God's grace. You can't outdo God's grace. Why? Because he loves you and you can't do anything about it. And here's what you would discover if you struggle. Here's what you would discover about God if you knew him as father and you saw yourself as a son and a daughter. That every time you come to him, what he extends to you is grace and mercy. It's his goodness. Romans 2.4 says this, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to change. It's the goodness of God that, that leads us to higher ground. It's the goodness of God that heals us. It's the goodness of God that restores us. It's the goodness of God that reunites families. It's the goodness of God that forgives sin. It's the goodness of God that cleanses us. It's the goodness of God that raises us. It's the goodness of God. And it's because God is good, not because you're good, not because we do good. And so his older brother happens to arrive. And when he arrives, he, hear all this, he hears all this commotion. They are bumping. The speakers are bumping. It is a party. Everybody's loud. Everybody's like, uh-uh, get it, uh-uh, right? It's a party. And this son walks in and he's like, what, what are we celebrating here? What's going on? One of the servants, one of the slaves says, your brother who left, who made many mistakes, he's back. Your father who was seeking him has found him. And we're celebrating because he's alive, because he's well, because he's back home. Watch what the Bible says in Luke 15, 28 through 31. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Let's pause right there for a moment. At the most basic level for us, we can relate to him. You wasted all those resources. You did dad wrong. You rotten picking scoundrel. You don't deserve this. Don't look at me with those holy eyes of yours. I see past them. You might respond that way. You might go, you know what? He's justified in being upset. Watch this. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been what? Slaving for you. And I never disobeyed your orders. Let's stop right there for a moment. This son was always with the father. But what we see here is that he saw himself not as a son. He saw himself as a slave. See, while the other one had a messed up story, this one had a horror story. Because he was in his father's house. But he felt far from his father because he didn't see himself as good enough. He thought he had to earn everything for God. You know what that's called in modern day society? Religion. 
I do this so that I can be all right with God. I do this that God might bless me. Friends, there is nothing that you and I can do to earn God's love and his favor. And so it goes on to say, yeah, you can give God some praise for that. That's all right. He says, yeah, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Watch this. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes came, comes home, you killed the fat calf for him, and the father says, my son, watch this, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Why are you slaving to get something that's already yours? Why are you trying to earn something from me that's already yours? Why are you trying to behave your way to gain something that's already yours? Don't you understand my love for you? The scripture puts it this way. There is no height. There is no depth. There is no width. There is no length that can separate you and I from the love of God Almighty. And it's for that reason that as we stand and we close here today, we look to Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace, it's by favor without merit. It's free. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is not from you. This is not because of you. It is the gift of God. 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 You know why some of us don't know this gift? Because we're not opening it up. Because we're not pursuing it. Because we're not endeavoring to know it. He says it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Yeah. So no one can beat their chest and say I did this. Watch this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what the scripture is telling us there? When it talks about being God's handiwork, here's what it's saying. You're a masterpiece. You're an original. You are complete and whole. You lack nothing. You're perfect in my sight. You're holy. You're blameless. Why? Because God does not make junk. God only creates jewels. You are a masterpiece in God's eyes. Why is this so important, friends? Because if you're going to see God as father and a shepherd, you must understand that he only treats you like sheep. He loves you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.